I titled this morning's message, Two Demon-Possessed Men Healed. We looked last week, last Sunday, at a day in the life of Jesus. What ministry would have been like to actually follow in the footsteps of Jesus, even just for one day. Pretty incredible day that we, that we saw. Jesus came into that village of Capernaum, his hometown of ministry, and where he, he lived and stayed probably for two of those three and a half years. He ministered out of this city of Capernaum. <clears throat> And when Jesus came into that city, we learned that he had contact with a man that was in the synagogue in that city that was demon-possessed. That was possibly in the morning time, at an hour of prayer. In the afternoon, we know that Jesus and the four of his disciples, that they went into Peter's House and his mother in law was lying there sick with fever. And Jesus healed her and she got up immediately and began to serve them, a miracle of God. And then in the evening, as they were in that home of Peter, a crowd began to gather outside the door of Peter's house. And as they looked outside, there was a whole crowd of people that were out there. And we're told that many were brought. They were brought there. Uh, Some of them were demon-possessed. Others were just sick, and they were in need of a touch from Jesus. Word had spread that Jesus was in town and that he could touch, he could heal. And we know that that evening that Jesus touched many of them and healed them and cast demons out of many that were brought And it was all in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He took, he himself took our infirmities and he bore our sickness. I hope that all of us this morning, those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that you, one, know that he bore your infirmities. Your spiritual sickness he bore on the cross for you that you could live. But he also bore our physical sickness. And that even our physical sickness here, Matthew ties it to Isaiah 53. We we have an incredible Lord. He cares about your spiritual well-being, but he also cares about your physical well-being. We read back in Matthew 4.23, I've brought this scripture up a few times now in this chapter that after Jesus had called four of his disciples, that was Peter and Andrew and James and John, we read in verse 23 of chapter 4 that Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And then Jesus' fame went out throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And so, as I already shared a few weeks ago, part of the ministry of Jesus was that, healing the sick. And casting out demons was really something that was a part of the ministry of Jesus as well as the disciples in the early church. In our text this morning, we're going to read where Jesus delivered two men that were demon-possessed. You know, we're living in a a day and age uh, where maybe we don't see that so much. Uh, I personally have never, that I know of anyway, (laughs) cast out a demon from somebody. Maybe you have. 
Maybe you've seen that or experienced that. But I will say, and I have looked, and there are many missionaries in many places in our world today, and I'm not going to exclude America because I believe it's here. But there are many places in the world today where demon possession is prevalent. And it's, and it's something that is more commonplace. Though we don't see it and maybe have not experienced with our own physical eyes, don't be naive to think that there is not that kind of spiritual warfare that goes on in our world still. We know that from last week that when they boarded the small wooden boat and they were caught in the, the storm out on the sea, that they got in this boat and they made their way across here. It's when the Lord had to gently rebuke them about having little faith when they thought they were going to die. Their day of ministry was now going to the other side of the sea, and they were going to end up in this little area here called Gergesa. There's a number of names that you will find in the Gospels that have been attributed to this particular area. This is where our story this morning is taking place, right on the coast, right on the, uh, the waterline, if you want to say, and back from the waterline, and they're still there today. There are tombs, there are caves that were used to be able to bury people within uh, those tombs. So let's, uh, let's look in our Bibles at verse 28, and let's read to the end of the chapter together. When Jesus had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there's another uh, uh, name for the area, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine that are feeding. So get this picture in your mind. Here's Jesus and his disciples in this boat coming up to the shoreline, just stepping out of the boat, getting onto land. And here comes this, these two demon-possessed men. Ministry again. When does it end? They were actually going over to the other side, possibly, for a little bit of rest and relaxation. But as soon as they get there, as soon as his foot hits the ground, here comes these two demon-possessed men. Now, notice that it's these demon-possessed men here are coming to Jesus. Right now, it's not Jesus going to them. They're coming to him. But then Jesus and the disciples were told that there's this herd of swine, pigs, that are off at a distance, a good ways off, probably just grazing over there on the side of the hill. And he said to them, go. Or be gone. Jesus, in a sense, is going to give permission to the demons that were inside of these two men to leave their bodies and to go make their habitation in these swine. He's going to give them permission to do that. I think it's important to note that. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and they perished in the water. Mark's gospel tells us, makes note that that herd of swine was about 2,000. Pretty big bunch of pigs, swine that are out there. Think of the demons that that had come out of these two men and into these swine. Verse 33 says, Then those who kept them fled. These were the people, the caretakers of these swine. And they went away into the city and they told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him 
to depart from their region. That's Matthew's account of this story, this deliverance of these two demon-possessed men. There's probably no better place in Scripture than this particular story to talk about demonology, to talk about Satanology. This whole ology thing is really just stating it's the study of demons, it's the study of Satan. There's angelology also, the study of angels. So it's just a theological term. But here we have in our text a time that we can talk about this. But as I was considering what to say about this, I started thinking to myself, this is the least favorite topic that I like to talk about. I don't like talking about Satan. I don't like talking about demons. It's unpopular, as a matter of fact, to really teach on it. I mean, there's nothing really good that can really be said. But I do think that it's important that we spend a little bit of time to give us a broader understanding of really that spiritual world that is out around us because it's real. And I believe that we as Christians need to know what our Bibles say concerning demons and Satan and that spiritual warfare and battle that's around us. I also want to share and go a little bit further with this whole topic of this because as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, as we continue our journey through this book, we're going to see in a number of occasions, we're going to see probably four or five more occasions where demons are going to be cast out from people and people are going to be delivered. And so it's important for us to know what's taking place. We read in the uh, ninth chapter, our next chapter in verse 32, that as they went out, behold, they brought to Jesus a man that was mute, and he was also demon-possessed. So get this in your mind. He's mute. He can't speak. He's also demon-possessed. If you have an old King James Bible, your Bible would read that he was not demon-possessed, but that he was with a devil, is how it reads in the old King James. It says in verse 33 that when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And so it was tied to that. The mute was able to speak. And the multitudes were told that were there. They marveled saying it was never seen like this in Israel. And so another miracle that was taking place. These people that knew this mute man, this man that was demon possessed. We know that actually by translation, if you look at the old King James, it uses the word devil. In the new King James, it uses the word demon possessed in place of that probably the better rendering because the Greek word actually there that is being used and it's real hard to say it's domonesmii I'm not saying that properly I don't speak Greek but that's the Greek word which we would probably get our word demonized from and so we have here in the text and it's clear that we're talking about with these words demon possessed or he had a devil in him that this man was actually possessed by uh, a a demon uh, when we're reading our text here. We find this word demon possessed three times in the gospel of Matthew. We find the word demon or demons three other times that are used in the gospel of Matthew. But we find another term that is uh, used also for demon possession. It's called unclean spirits. So whenever you're reading your Bible and you see this term unclean spirits, it also in context is making reference to somebody that could be demon possessed. And so uh, whenever something is unclean, it's unpure. And it's what was also uh, dwelling within these men. In Matthew 15, we're going to read about the woman of Canaan, whose daughter, we're told, was severely demon-possessed. In Matthew 17, 
uh, verse 14, we're going to read about the demon that possessed a man's son, and Jesus came and delivered that man. But the disciples came to Jesus and asked him the question, why couldn't we deliver that demon from this young man? And Jesus' response to him was, because of your unbelief. He said, this doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. And so obviously there was something more that they needed to take on board and to understand even his disciples. But Jesus said to them, it was because of your unbelief that you were unable to cast out the demon from that little boy. This morning... I'm going to use this opportunity a little bit to to talk about this subject of Satan and this subject of the demonic world. Uh, It's not going to be exhaustive. If you want to do your own exhaustive study, you can do that. But I want to bring out, I think, some things that are important or that will be helpful for us. As Christians, first off, we need to be biblical, I think all of us want to be. We need to be biblical in our approach to this topic. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of churches and individuals and ministries that are out there that have greatly done disservice to this topic. They have brought in all kinds of strange teachings about people being demon-possessed and all these kind they relate all these sickness, everything, and, and they put a demon in everything. I don't know if any of you have ever had a demon in your engine when it quit working. But some people even go like, you know, I had a demon in my engine, it broke today. You know I mean? They, and they literally believe that. There's a demon in everything that goes wrong. I think that's out of balance. But we do need to have a, a good understanding of the teachings from scripture and that's what we go at we just look at the bible and say what does jesus show us by example about these things we know that in scripture there is satan which is singular but we also have demons which are plural so there is only one satan but there are many demons that are out there who are they they're fallen angels all of them are fallen angels they once habitated with god in heaven in perfect harmony with god until they were cast down until they were thrown out of heaven we know that even satan himself his name was lucifer one of god's highest chosen and ranking angels in heaven and lucifer lucifer later became satan Demons were also those that were in heaven with God, but they chose to follow after Satan, and they also were cast down. Satan and fallen angels, and this is something else that's important for us to know, is that they have already been judged. Did you know that there's no hope for Satan? There's no hope for demons. They won't be able to repent someday and get things right and we'll see some of them in heaven with us. They have already been judged, and that's important to know. I'm glad that's the case. They have already been judged, and they have no control over God. Uh, Some people, some Christians even, I, I think, sometimes think there's this battle going on between Satan and God, and they're all just sitting back wondering, who's gonna win? You know, Jesus already won. It's already a done deal. The battle has already been won at the cross. He had victory over sin and over Satan and over death. It's important that we know that. And we also need to be careful that we never give Satan or demons more credit than they deserve. Some people elevate it too much. Jesus Christ is the one that is supreme above all. There is no battle and like they're warring and they're on equal ground. The Lord himself controls their every move, where he wants them to be and where he doesn't want them to be. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read about the fall of Satan. Many of you have read this. I'll remind you of it. 
We read, Isaiah wrote, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? That's what Satan does, doesn't he? We're seeing that now, aren't we, in our world? You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, speaking about Lucifer's heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. Did you hear that? I will, I will. Five times Lucifer makes that declaration. I will and I will be like the Most High God. Does that sound like a prideful bunch of statements? It's really that. That was the downfall of Satan. He was in perfect harmony and God, he would tell he was lifted up in pride. And God cast him down to this earth. We read in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 4. Some people have wondered, how many demons are there? How big is this? Well, we don't know. We don't know how large or what amount that is. Some people have gleaned from this particular verse of how many, how many fallen angels followed after Satan, or how many angels, I should say, followed after Satan when he was cast from heaven. In Revelation 12:4, John saw a sign in heaven, and in that sign he was taken back to the very beginning of time. And what we read in this particular passage is that the vision that John saw was this dragon. And this dragon had a tail that is referring to Satan himself. And they were told that he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now many believe that this is a reference going back all the way in time before even the creation of the heavens and there, that Satan himself, that one-third of the angels left their habitation with God and followed after Lucifer, and they also were cast down to earth. It says that he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which the woman is Israel, who is ready to give birth to devour her child, speaking about Jesus Christ, as soon as it was born. This was like a panoramic view that was unfolding, but it, it started out talking about this dragon's tail dragging a third of the stars that were there in heaven, which is a good possibility of reference to angels. In Jude chapter 6, we read this. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, they left. They chose to leave their abode with God, has reserved in everlasting chains until darkness for the judgment of that great day. As I've already shared, Satan, these demons, they've already been judged. And as a matter of fact, there are some of them that are in chains now. These are the real terrible ones that are going to be released during the the tribulation period. But there are those that have access and but they all are in that same place they have everlasting chains that have already been appointed to them they will someday all be in judgment and stand in judgment it's also important for us to know that satan himself is not all powerful did you get that he is not all powerful meaning that god can do anything Is anything too hard for God? With God, all things are possible. He's all-powerful. Satan is not all-powerful. He's also not all-knowing. You can't tell God anything, but Satan, he doesn't know everything. Satan is also not everywhere present. Meaning that he uh, he can't be in one locale uh, or multiple locations like God can. God can be, he's omnipresent, everywhere present. The universe fills up the presence of God. He can live in our hearts, but he can be in the world. He he encompasses, but not Satan. Satan is in one locale at a time. 
during the tribulation period. He's going to possess the Antichrist during that period of time. So it's important to know that. These attributes, this all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present, these are attributes that only belong to God. God is the only one that possesses those attributes. It's important to know that Satan cannot read your mind. He can't get into your head and know what you're thinking. The only way that he knows or demons or whatever know what we're doing is when you act those things out. When you do those things, they're able to observe and see your weaknesses and see those areas that you struggle in in temptation and those areas that they want to attack you. But they can't get into your mind and know what you're thinking unless you want to just speak it out loud. It's important to know that, that they observe and they watch. We know that as Christians, even though Satan is not all-powerful, we need to know that he is more powerful than you and I. Not greater than the one that lives in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But he is greater in power than you and I. So we never want to uh, toy around with the things of Satan or or darkness or anything practices like that because we make ourselves susceptible to those things. Even uh, we read in Jude 9 that Michael the archangel, one of the, uh, the mightiest of the Lord's angels in heaven, he was contending with the devil about the body of Moses. And Michael, we're told, dared not bring a reviling accusation against the devil, but even Michael himself said, the Lord rebuke you. He realized even in his place and in his position, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter instructed you and I that we're to be sober as Christians. What does it mean to be? Be alert, Christians. Be sober, be alert, and be vigilant, Christians. Why? Because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he he may devour. And it says, resist him, be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Our enemy is real. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that again. We lose sight of it how powerful and how deceptive and how he wants to destroy us. But here's the problem that he has. He can't do it. Why? Because you're a child of God. God has his hand upon you. We don't walk around wondering if Satan's going to wipe me out and do something today. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We don't have to be fearful of that. But know this, he can trip us. He can cause havoc in our life if we don't yield ourselves and keep ourselves in, in communion with the Lord. We can find ourselves going down paths where, where he messes with us, messes with our minds, puts situations in our life where he wants to stumble you and trip you and devour you with everything he can. He can't make you not be a child of God anymore, but he wants to derail you as a Christian. Casting out demons was not something that just Jesus did. He wasn't the only one that we see in Scripture. We find in Acts chapter 8, after the ascension of Jesus uh, into heaven, we see the disciples that they also were given the authority by Jesus to be able to cast out demons. We read in uh, chapter 8, verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city. 
Here's the Lord using Philip to heal and even to cast out demons. In Acts 16, we have the story of the slave girl who got saved in Philippi. We read, now it happened when Paul and Silas and Timothy, they came into the city of Philippi, and it was the time of prayer, that there was a certain slave girl that was possessed, and here it puts it this way, with a spirit of divination. And she met Paul and Silas and Timothy out there, and and, and we're told that she brought her master much profit by her fortune-telling. I don't know if you've noticed uh, the amount of fortune-telling places here in Winston-Salem that are popping up. I, I can think of a few of them that I know of, and there's probably more. The days that we're living in, people are seeking answers and wanting answers. And instead of coming to the God of truth and the Bible, they're out looking for fortune-tellers and paying somebody 10 bucks to, to read their palm. Well, here's this young girl that was able to go out and make money for her boss. And on this particular day, we're told that the multitudes, or excuse me, that the girl that on that day that she was following after Paul and the other two uh, disciples, they were following. And as she was following, she was crying out. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. You know what's interesting to me about that? This is a demon-possessed girl. And out of her lips, she's able to speak truth. And actually, even her theology is correct. And well, here's this demon speaking through this young girl, correct theology, saying the right thing. And then we read, and this she did for many days. Here they are walking around the city, and for many days she's out there speaking to Paul and to the other disciples. But Paul, on one day, one particular day, we're told that he was greatly annoyed. <laughs> he finally said, I'm, I'm done with it. He didn't do it a few days earlier, but on this day he was greatly annoyed. And he turned around and he said to the spirit, notice who he's zeroing in on. The girl is there, but he's speaking to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, very important, to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. When it says that very hour wasn't over, it was immediately. She was delivered. And notice that the command was by Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't doing it in his own strength. He wasn't doing it. This was led. This was a God-ordained and orchestrated time for Paul to be there at that moment for this young girl that needed to be delivered, just as there are many people today, that if they'll turn to Jesus Christ, they also can be delivered. In Acts chapter 19, performing exorcisms was only something that a follower of Jesus Christ, a true follower of Jesus Christ could do. We know that there were these itinerant Jewish exorcists that we read about in the, in the book of Acts. They took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had been had evil spirits within them. So they're wanting to get on board with all of this. Uh, we exercise, and this is what they said to those that had these evil spirits, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's how we're doing We exercise you by Paul, through Paul. Also, we're told that there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest that had these sons who did this also. And we're told that the evil spirit answered and said to them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Get this picture in your mind. Here's this, this man leaping 
upon them, these seven sons of sea, leaping upon them, empowering them, prevailing against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I mean, this demon-possessed person basically came unglued upon them. There's a real danger when we or anyone would try to do this kind of work apart from the power of Jesus Christ and him doing it in us. And the same for us as believers. It's not a work of our flesh. Matthew's account that we already read had only seven verses. Mark's gospel has 20 verses to this story, and Luke has 13. Matthew says that it was in the country of the Gergesenes, also known as Gadara, or the Gadarenes. In Mark and in Luke, it tells us that they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which was opposite Galilee, and I showed you that on the map. We also know that the area of Galilee had a large portion of Gentiles that were there. How do we know that? Well, we know historically that that area typically had more than in the southern part down where Jerusalem was. But we also see in our story that when Jesus stepped foot on the other side of the Galilee, that there was this large herd of swine that was being taken care of by these Bedouins that were out there or these, these men that were caretakers of these swines. That would not have been Jews that were out there uh, handling these swines. Why? Because Jews looked at swine as unclean. It would not have been something that they would have been doing. So we're uh, crossing the sea. We have these Gentiles that were there, these two demon-possessed men. We read in Matthew that when Jesus and his disciples had landed on the other side or the far side of the sea, that they were confronted by these demonic men. Mark and Luke also record that Jesus only met one man. So when you're reading your Bibles and you read the other two accounts, you'll notice that it says that there was a man singular that met Jesus. It's the same story. It's believed that what the, the, the writers of Mark and Luke are doing is they're basically taking these two men, and I'm going to believe that there's two according to Matthew, and they're just explaining it as one. One was probably more prominent in, the, in his violence and the way that he's doing it. And so they're basically just saying that there was one that Jesus cast out, but according to Matthew's gospel, there was two that were demon-possessed. Luke tells us that these demonics that they uh, they did not live in a house but they lived in tombs now tombs were places of burial tombs were places that uh, that a Jew would not have wanted to go near tombs were places that were considered unclean and you you wouldn't even get near but tombs spoke of death and I think it's really appropriate to see how Satan and the demons that were in these men they drove them to this area we're told in the gospels here that it also drove them at times out into the wilderness and then when they would come home they would come back to these tombs so just get that picture in your mind here they are in these these tombs here that are associated with death And that's the picture that we're getting here. Remember, as I've been sharing with you, that um, in all of these stories that we read, and all of these miracles that Jesus did, and all the healings and all that, there's always a bigger picture. There's always a bigger picture that the Lord is wanting to get across, and I believe that applies to this story here. Turn in your Bibles, and we're gonna we'll go through this quickly, and, and we'll be done. But in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, I want to bring out a few other points in our, in our story. Mark's gospel, chapter 5, in verse 1. We read this, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him. I'm I'm bringing this up because I want you to get a little bigger of a picture of what this really looked like. That no one could bind these two demon-possessed men. 
not even with chains, we're told, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could any anyone tame him. That just tells you something about some of his demon possessed, superhuman strength, something that was transpiring here where here they are being actually chained at times. Why? Because they were a nuisance to the people. What they were doing and living in those caves down there, and there's the, the pathway as people would travel. It said that uh, it goes on to say, and always day and night he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and we're told that he was that he was or they were cutting themselves with stones which is another thing that we see about this whole thing of this demon possession uh, causing injury to self cutting themselves and that's exactly what satan wants to do what demons they want to destroy they want to mutilate and destroy people's lives get that picture in your mind When he saw Jesus, we're told, the demonic, saw Jesus from afar, he ran, we're told, and he worshipped him. Isn't that interesting? Here he comes running up to Jesus. He worships him. He cries out with a loud voice and says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High? I employ you by God that you do not torment me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? Here's Jesus now having a dialogue. He says to the demonic, What is your name? And he answers saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. You see why it's important to read the other Gospels? And you see what's happening? We are many. Our, my, our name is Legion. And so these were not just possessed with one demon, but multiple demons that were inside of these two demonics. And then we read in verse 10 that he also, that he begged him earnestly, that they begged Jesus earnestly that he would not send them out of their country. And so here comes in that large herd of swine verse 11 now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains and so all the demons begged him saying send us into the swine that we may enter them and at once jesus gave them permission and that in that good jesus gave them permission at once and it's almost like they had to ask permission to come out and to go house themselves in the swine Then the unclean spirits went out and they entered the swine. There was about 2,000. And the herd ran or bolted violently after this happened. Bolted violently down the steep place into the sea. And we're told that they were drowned in the sea. Can pigs swim? Pigs can swim. I had to look it up to make sure. Pigs can swim. Swine can swim. But they went down and they were drowned in the Sea of Galilee. They violently, out of their minds, ran violently down the, the hill. Have you ever tried running down a steep hill? Ran down and they all ended up down there in the Sea of Galilee and they drowned. The Lord allowed it. This was going to be a great loss to the people in the city. 2,000 swine that they made their livelihood by. But Jesus saw the value in these two men to see them set free from this demon possession and to allow them to go into this swine. But the picture, the bigger picture is yet to come. At once, Jesus gave them permission. They come come in, and then we read in verse 14, So those who fed the swine... And they uh, went and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what, had, uh, what it was that had happened. So all of these people, as these herdsmen come in and start telling them what had happened to their, to their swine, can you imagine what they were thinking? We're dead meat. We're going to go in there and tell all this, all this, our whole herd's dead. They're all drowned in the sea there. They first went in and began to tell them what had happened. All the, the swine are dead. 
But then they began to tell them about the demon-possessed man. Then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed. This is where the picture broadens. They saw that the men that were demon-possessed and had a legion sitting clothed and in their right mind. This is, this is what's incredible about our Lord. He can take this kind of a situation like that and turn it around and show us something through it. That, you know what, the Lord has delivered us. We once were in chains. We once were, stood in darkness. We now have the light of Jesus Christ in our life. We've been set free. Here's this testimony now. Here's these people coming out. They knew of these two demonics. They saw them. They had been chained. They were ones that they they were violent towards them. And here they are free. Could you imagine the face on those demonics? They, They probably had a big Jesus smile on their face. Like maybe you had the day you gave your life to Christ. They're different. There's something different about these men. Then they began to plead with him, the people that came from the city, to depart from the region. They didn't even want Jesus around there. Why? Because their 2,000 swine are dead. Get out of here. You just killed our livelihood. And we're told that when he got into the boat, he had, uh, when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed, we're told, begged Jesus that he might be with him. Isn't that, isn't that, look how you used to be before you knew Christ. You cared nothing about God, cared nothing about the Bible, cared nothing about, and then you give your life to the Lord and you can't get enough of him. Now I want more of him. Here's this man, and I'm going to take in context, I believe that this man just wanted to be around the one that delivered him. I want to spend time with you. I wonder how many of us this morning really in our, that we are just rejoicing in our heart. That, God, you've saved me. You've delivered me from my sin. You've set me free. No, I was demon-possessed, but you set me free from the bondage of sin and death. I just want to spend more time with you, Jesus. I want to get to know you more because of what you have done for me. I I wonder how many of us this morning are overwhelmed with that thought. Here's these demonics wanting to spend time with Jesus. And it says, and he departed because Jesus told him, the Lord uh, told him, not that that he couldn't come along. And it says that he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis, you can see that, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now he becomes a witness, just like you and I, going out and telling people the marvelous things that Christ has done in our life. That's your testimony. What has God delivered you from? Even if it wasn't from a demon, but he's delivered you from yourself. And from your own sin. And we have much that we could marvel about this morning. To go out and just tell people. And that we have the the hope. We have the ability to go out and actually tell somebody that Jesus can do something in their life. Change them. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Here's this demonic or these demonics that actually were clothed on that day. Remember they were all naked? That the people and the disciples, they saw fit to get them clothed. Clothes and they sat there. Here they are now clothed before all of the people. And when I think of that, I just think of that clothed cloth of righteousness that has been put upon us when we gave our life to Christ. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. A whole different transfer from a demonic to sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed now in his righteousness. 
That's what we all have. Incredible. That's, that's what the Lord has done for us. And that's out of the story of two demonics that were delivered. Incredible. The Lord always has a bigger picture. 2 Corinthians 5.17, do you have it memorized? You should. It's a, it's, a, it's a great verse to memorize. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we're what? We're new creations. The former things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then everything changed in your life. Does that mean I'm a perfect person? No. That means that you have changed through Jesus Christ. Behold, all things become new. It's what the Lord has done in us. First Chronicles 16, 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. And I'll finish with this verse, Romans 12, 1. Paul wrote, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the most reasonable thing we could do as believers is to give our lives as a living sacrifice unto God, holy vessels to the Lord because of what he has done for us. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. If you want your mind to be renewed day by day, You need to spend time with Jesus. You need to spend time in the word of God. You need to let God's word take all the rubbish of the day and do a cleansing on you on a daily basis. Let it sort out all the misconception, all the stuff that's there. Let God's word, by his spirit, renew you day by day. As we do that, you're going to know God's perfect will. It's not going to be as easy for you to conform yourself to the things of this world. The things of this world are going to be things that disgust you. And I just want to follow Jesus with my whole heart. 